The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of Metcalf & Associates. I work with leaders and their organizations to solve their biggest problems and leverage their biggest opportunities. I do this through a combination of roles from executive advisor to consultant to coach. I'm a regular contributor to Forbes and the lead author on an award-winning book series focusing on helping leaders innovate how they lead and transform their organizations. I'm also an adjunct faculty member at universities in the U.S. and Germany. Today our show features Dr. Robert Falcone as the CEO of the Columbus Medical Association and affiliates, including the Central Ohio Trauma Center. Dr. Robert Falcone works with Central Ohio physicians and coalitions to champion tangible improvements in community health. He most recently served as the Vice President of Population Health with the Ohio Hospital Association, Chief of Staff of the Cincinnati Veterans Affairs Medical Center, Chief of Staff of the Chalmer P. Wiley VA Ambulatory Care Center, and Acting Chief of Staff for the Jesse Brown VAMC. Prior to joining the Veterans Health Administration, he was the President and COO for Cramp Medical Center, a 640-bed urban teaching hospital and Level 1 trauma center in Columbus, Ohio. His clinical background is in trauma and surgical care. As part of the Executive Insight series, I invited Bob because he's reinvented himself several times in his career, from artist to trauma surgeon, which is a pretty big leap, and then hospital executive, and then VA executive. So again, multiple careers. So Robert has both reinvented himself and also he is taking a role in a community that is underserved with regard to population health. So I want to talk a little bit about how healthcare is changing in this environment. So we'll talk about his ability to evolve as a leader and also evolve the organizations with whom he's working, especially in the healthcare field. So part of the the intent of this show on my part is in times of dramatic change, we as leaders need to evolve how we lead just like we're changing the stuff that we lead, that leaders depreciate just like our mobile devices do. And often as leaders, we're so busy doing the work of leading the organization that we don't invest the time to innovate ourselves and the way we do our craft of leadership. So my hope is that you'll hear something from Bob today that you can implement yourself as a leader, whether you're in the healthcare practice or not. 
So we're going to jump in. Bob, welcome. It's great to have you here today. Thanks, Marie. It's a pleasure. So let's talk first a little bit about your career. Help me understand how you, what your path was, because it's an interesting one. It is. Uh, it should be uh, viewed in the context of my attention span, which tends to be <laughs> short. Um, I, when I was in high school, and by the way, my track was vocational in high school. It was not college prep. When I was in high school, my thought was I would be a musician or an artist. Mm-hmm. I ended up in college anyway. Um, and uh, in college, um, I found out pretty quickly within a, within a couple years that uh, I would never make a very good living as either. Okay. And more importantly, I would never make any difference as either. Interesting. Not that you can't make a difference with art, not that you can't make a difference with music, but you have to have uh, incredible talent, mm-hmm. a lot of good luck, and a platform. Mm-hmm. And I, I just didn't see myself going down that direction. Uh, so I got a number of my friends together and said, okay, what can I do that will make a difference, uh, pay me enough that I can do other things if I want to. Mm-hmm. Like and, your art. Like my art and my music and contribute to the community. Mm-hmm. And the consensus was dentist, lawyer, or doctor. Hmm. Or veterinary. <laughs> no interest in veterinary medicine. I didn't want to be in anybody's mouth. Okay. Um, I couldn't stand the thought of being a lawyer. So by default, ah. by default, it ended up being doctor. <laughs> uh, which was, uh, and, and you'll see this all along my path, which was a really lucky choice because it gave me an opportunity to pursue something with a passion and make a difference. And that's pretty much been my major decision point for every time I've changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, can I make a difference? Can I have a passion for what mm. I'm doing? Okay. Um, so I ended up in medical school. That was an adventure in and of itself because, um, you know, I came out of vo- vocational training. <laughs> um, I, was a, I was a liberal arts major mm-hmm. and suddenly became a chemistry major. And in two years, I, I graduated with a with a BA in chemistry, um, and somehow got into the Ohio State University Medical School. Medical school was fun, uh, it was challenging, and I, I learned pretty quickly that my primary interest was in uh, surgery, and my secondary interest was in the underserved. Hmm. I did a, a surgery residency, and I gravitated towards those opportunities. I worked with the prison population. I typically was Johnny on the spot when anybody was injured and needed care, and many of those people. Um, not all, but many of those people at that time were, were part of the underserved community. And mm-hmm. that continued uh, as I went into practice. And the opportunities for leadership in medicine are enormous because most physicians are unfortunately saddled with an incredible workload um, that takes precedent. Uh, well, yeah, or, someone's go ahead. injured. Yeah, or, 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 or sick or whatever, but it's, yeah. it's a... It's a it's a full time and a half career, not mm-hmm. leaving much time for other things. Uh, I'm fortunate in, not, in that I don't sleep much, so I had more time than Nate needed, and I had mm-hmm. a chance to participate in a number of leadership activities, and uh, those were interesting because leading phys- physician initiatives and medical staff mm-hmm. initiatives are very different than leading um, uh, other um, groups of people. How so? Well, like most technical groups, and physicians are really mm-hmm. a technical group, um, mm-hmm. they prize uh, competence in their yeah. field and will rarely trust and infrequently follow someone who isn't competent 
in their field. In their field. In their field. Yeah, and that's okay. not unusual. You see that right. with just about every profession. Yeah, I work with engineers and IT people, and I actually work with physicians as well. Yeah, and the problem with most physicians is they don't develop the training or the skill set to uh, lead at a higher level because mm -hmm. that's not what they do every day. I had that opportunity, and I pursued it. Had the opportunity to uh, um, start and build a couple different trauma centers, both of which are extremely successful today. Mm -hmm. Very proud of that. And that was an opportunity to make a difference because the, um, uh, you know a good chunk of injured patients are underserved. A lot of them are like you and me and mm -hmm. just in the wrong place at the wrong time, motor vehicle collision, fall, uh, burns, on mm -hmm. and on and on. But a lot of them are also underserved. And it was an opportunity to really build expertise and a system around those groups, which I did. Mm -hmm. By the mid-90s, um, I, um, I started to take some formal education in management, um, and that was intentional. I had pretty much planned that by the time I was in my mid-40s or at the latest 50 to be out of the clinical practice of medicine. Why? Well, um, after 20 years of... Um, Trauma surgery. Or of anything, yeah. you've done it. Yeah. And the passion starts to wane a little bit. Okay. And, and for me, when the passion starts to wane, mm -hmm. I know that I, I need to be doing something else or I'm going to be calling it in. Okay. And, and you don't want a doctor well, you don't want phoning your, yeah. in your medical care. Yeah. And that's that's disaster. Uh, so I spent a year at uh, UNC Chapel Hill mm -hmm. and um, learned the language of management. Had the opportunity to uh, run critical care and trauma programs for both Riverside Methodist Hospital and Grant Medical Center. Mm -hmm. I took it on the proviso that I would be a, an operating vice president, not a okay. not a, a medical vice president, where I'd have somebody else doing all the operations and and I would just hurt the physicians. Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't want to do that. And I was given that opportunity and received a, a really great mentorship and wonderful on-the-job training. It is a very different world in developing collegial relationships and helping to lead a process with physicians versus working with nurses and working with technicians and working with uh, with housekeeping and working mm -hmm. with laundry mm -hmm. on and on, which, which was kind of where I was learning yeah, um, and it was an interesting learning curve, um, and I was successful, and um, worked my way up the up the management chain, which at first was hard because the most of the managers in healthcare at the top level are lay; they're not physicians, and mm -hmm. they really either didn't trust me or patronized me. Interesting, because you didn't. You're not a real leader. Correct. Interesting. I'm, I'm not a real administrator. Correct. Ah, uh, and the physicians probably treat them like they're not real. Exactly. Um, but I was somehow man able to bridge that gap mm -hmm. um, and convince the people that I worked with and for that I actually knew what you were doing. Knew what I was doing and, um, you know, ended up uh, as uh, president and chief operating officer of uh, Grant Medical Center, which I did for almost five years, which was just fun. <laughs> um, and the opportunity to really take a hospital that was old and and in some ways tired mm -hmm. and rejuvenate it and make it into the downtown jewel that it became. Today it's been taken by taken over by a number of really good leaders who have taken it to the next level. And it's just it's just an amazing place. I'm very proud of that. But that was a, just a huge opportunity to make a difference um, with something that I was passionate about. 
So they, while you were there, you totally upgraded the trauma center, right? Uh, trauma, heart, everything. Okay. Recruited uh, a number of new physicians, brought in a number mm-hmm. of new services. We we did a lot. Uh, it, it really, uh, and, and most importantly, from a fiscal standpoint, we, we, we turned it from an institution that was losing many millions of dollars a month. A month, okay. To an institution that was making many million dollars a month. And, you know, there is no mission without margin. If you don't make money, mm-hmm. you don't exist. And so, so that was very, very rewarding. Wow. I'm just thinking I, I lived next door to the hospital when you were running it. And so often, because my condo faced the Medvac um, landing pad, it sounded like lives being saved. It was kind of what I told myself when I was on conference calls and those <laughs> helicopters went by. But it, it was, it's amazing to live in a time where we have these options, right? Something goes wrong, terribly wrong, and we end up on a helicopter and landing in a trauma center that is well-equipped to survive. And, there, and, and we are blessed in central Ohio because we have multiple trauma centers, mm-hmm. all of which are very, very good, very organized, and coordinate their care and, part, and cooperate with each other mm. so that, so that uh, we are sure that whenever possible the right person gets to the right place and they get there quickly. It's really, it's really um, very nice. I was, had the opportunity to be integral in that process, and it was just very, very uh, rewarding again because uh, we take a chaotic situation and try to standardize the approach to the point where if you are injured uh, at 50 miles from the outer belt, you'll still get to the right place and you'll still get care. It's, it's, just, uh, it, it's, it's just very rewarding. I'd love to come back to how did you create or promote that relationship, but let's go. You went from there to another art kind of role, right? I did. Well, I, I have not stopped making art or music mm-hmm. since I was 16. I still do that. I just have never made a living at it. Mm-hmm. I took on a position as CEO um, and board chair uh, of um, an Internet startup. And I uh, had some really passionate people working with us, and we did some amazing things, got initial funding, and uh, eventually pulled the plug when we couldn't get a second round funding mm-hmm. because our initial funding was under $2 million, but our okay. second round funding was about 20. This was uh, right around 2008, 2009, when mm-hmm. people were not putting money into much. And, mm-hmm. and the timing on that was just wrong. The timing was also wrong because we were about two years ahead of the curve in what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, two years later, uh, everyone was doing it, and we could have been one of the platforms involved, mm-hmm. but it didn't work. But it was a great learning curve. It was my introduction, as has been so many things, on the job to a very complicated business, and that's the internet and internet startups and venture capital. Mm-hmm. And then you went from there to the VA, which is internet startup to large complex government bureaucracy. Oh my God, yes. Um, When I was uh, 19, I was involved in a terrible motor vehicle collision. I got hit head on um, by a drunk driver. Oh goodness. And I spent three months in hospital. Uh, I still have some, um, some deficits as a result of that injury. For example, I have no sense of direction. Hmm. And I would often get lost even in my own hospital. And first people thought I was joking, but then eventually, eventually figured it out and they would show me where I was supposed <laughs> to be because I, that part of my brain is gone. So I wow. have absolutely no sense of direction. 
So GPS is your friend. It's my friend. But because of that, I was not eligible for the draft. And mm. a number of my friends and, and people I grew up with were and went to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I had always felt badly that I had never done anything uh, mm. to contribute to the safety and security of my country. So when the opportunity to join the VA came along, I said, well, I should, I should do this. Um, I, I, I think I can make a difference, and I, I think I would enjoy it. And I did. Wow, that is really cool. So we're going to go on break now, and we'll be back with Bob Falcone talking about the progression of his career. And the theme I'm hearing most that most resonates with me is passion and values. Yes. That each of these decisions had to do with what you are good at, but also how you serve. Yes. And in almost every instance, I took a pay cut. Really? To do the job, yep. Hmm. Almost every instance. I, I can imagine going to the VA from running a trauma hospital. <laughs> that would cut. be a cut. Yes. <laughs> so we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guests today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back, Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today we have the honor of being joined by Bob Falcone. He's walking us through his career and then going to talk about some of the themes as he shares what's going on with the Columbus Medical Association. So now you're at the VA. Yes, that was probably the steepest learning curve of everything I have done. So how do you manage the, the learning curve? 
Well, I grew up in chaos, and I'm pretty comfortable <laughs> with it. Okay. And, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, most innovation happens at the edge of chaos. Um, mm-hmm. There are a number of people that have made a lot of money talking about that. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not one of them, but I, <laughs> but I do believe it. Um, and so I'm comfortable with ambiguity and comfortable with chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, I also am blessed with a very steady, even demeanor. Mm-hmm. It's hard to rattle me. Um, I don't yell. I don't raise my voice. I don't get nervous. I don't get scared, at least on the outside. And that's got a calming effect. Mm-hmm. And then just a lot of time talking to really good people who knew what they were doing, who would mentor me, and a lot of time mm-hmm. working through mistakes and ending up successful because if you put enough time into even an error, mm-hmm. you either learn a lot or you'll, you'll turn around and make it successful. So that's where I spend a lot of time. My biggest challenge was the union environment. Everybody in the VA is unionized. That's got some advantages. It's got some disadvantages. And one of the disadvantages mm-hmm. is if someone's not doing their job or not doing their job properly or even sometimes committing a crime, it's very hard to fire them. It's not mm-hmm. that you can't, but the process is very specific. Federal employment has a number of guarantees in it, which are certainly very good, mm-hmm. but it makes changing personnel difficult. And presumably with all the things we've read about the VA, there were a few people that probably needed some guidance. Yeah, fortunately, I was I was in three different VAs, mm-hmm. um, and I had a chance to uh, do good and improve their situation in all three. And the people I was surrounded by were great. Passionate, yeah, passionate, capable, just outstanding. Uh, At the Columbus VA, I had the opportunity to uh, recruit a number of really good physicians from the community, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they're all successful and happy and taking great care of patients. I took some abuse from a few people because I stole their doctor Mm. for the VA (laughs) because they could no longer do private practice. They were Mm -hmm. VA, and you Mm -hmm. had to be a VA person. I would say the majority of people who work at the VA are veterans. And so they mm. believe in the cause and they believe in their brothers and sisters. And they will go the extra mile to help someone who is either physically or mentally disabled. They won't just automatically write them off and say, well, you're, you're too hard to deal with. I'm not going to take care of you. Once they embrace you as a patient, they take mm. care of everything. So it's very rewarding. And for me, it was an opportunity to give back where I had not in the past, yeah. I thought I had not in the past. So I had a chance to recruit a number of really good physicians to that VA. I left that for mm-hmm. a, an interim opportunity in Chicago uh, just to get more experience and had the opportunity there to help them save a whole lot of money just using pretty standard process improvement uh, and design Mm-hmm. methodologies which were new to them but they absorbed very quickly because they saw almost immediate results I think from my perspective the easiest way to get people to believe that your vision is correct is first of all make sure it's their vision but second of all give them a quick win mm-hmm. and the more quick wins they get the better they get at doing this and the more they believe in the process and the mm-hmm. people who are leading that process mm-hmm. And that was uh, rewarding. Then I spent two and a half years in Cincinnati at the VA there. It's a great VA, uh, wonderful physicians, tight affiliation with the university, a lot of academics, but good patient care. A really, a really good place. I had the opportunity mm-hmm. to do a number of things there that I thought were successful. And I felt that I had done as much as I was going to do for them and for the VA. And it was time to move. So I want to, just for a minute, because we hear so much bad press about the VA. Yeah. 
and yet you're giving a very different perspective. Yep. And I think that's important for us as listeners, as leaders, as well-informed voters to have multiple perspectives on the same topic. So what I hear is you helped implement some changes that probably you pulled from what you did at Grant and other places, but that the quality of care, that, that one, it truly is caring, and that most of the staff is really deeply committed to the mission they're there for. Yes. Um, and the reason that you hear so much bad about the VA is it's such a politicized environment. Mm, okay. Nothing happens at the VA that doesn't happen in the private sector on a regular basis, except when it happens in the private sector, no one talks about it. When it happens at the VA, it's front page news in the New York Times, or it's a story mm. on CNN. And mm-hmm. because it is so highly politicized, and because our board of directors is essentially Congress, mm. <laughs> uh, any congressman at any time can raise a fuss. And mm-hmm. this leads to what at times is a very reactive uh, leadership. When you're second-guessed on almost every decision you make as a leader, as a senior mm-hmm. leader, mm-hmm. you are a bit more circumscript about. Mm-hmm. And uh, if someone in um, Pennsylvania at a VA there has a problem, we're all painted with the same brush and all have to find the same solution, even if that's not a problem for us. Okay. So there are some VAs that have had problems. There mm-hmm. are some VAs that have had um marginal leadership mm-hmm. uh, and there are some VAs that have done the wrong things for the wrong reasons but in general we're talking about, about over 150 VA hospitals wow. and the care they provide to veterans is outstanding with a few exceptions what would I do to change the VA I've had the opportunity I would fully fund it it's dramatically underfunded mm-hmm. okay. and, and I think that's an issue with many of the things we see and many of the problems we have Interesting. Thank you for diverting for a second. Your point of view has differed from what I've heard from the press, which is <laughs> shocking. So I appreciate the clarification. So after the VA, what next? Well, I had the opportunity to come back to the Ohio Hospital Association, which is a membership organization of all the hospitals in, mm-hmm. in Ohio. Um, and it's very well run, very well organized, very well supported. Uh, mm-hmm. and um, has a great reputation both in the state and in the country. It's a, it's a great place to work. And I had the opportunity to start up um, a new initiative, which was basically population health. For those listening, population health is, is just a nice catchy phrase, but nobody really knows what it means. Uh, what it should mean is that if we keep you well and keep your neighborhood healthy, mm-hmm. then you're gonna need less health care, and you're gonna live longer for less money. So when you say keep my neighborhood healthy, I've read some of the studies that talk about the impact of community on health. So is that what you're talking about? Yes, and it's dramatic. If you live in a marginal community with crime and drugs and poverty, your Mm -hmm. health will not be as good even if I take the best care of you possible. If you smoke, drink excessively, or overweight, don't exercise, your health is not gonna be as good no matter what I do, than if you are doing the right things. So I get that if I'm a drunk smoker, drunk fat smoker, um, I'm in trouble. But let's go back to the community piece, because that's interesting and less addressed. I mean, we we talk about lack of exercise, um, not controlling alcohol, and and smoking. I mean, those are things probably everyone who's listening to us Mm -hmm. knows. Mm But how about the community bit? Well, so to back up just one small bit, our health is really determined for the large part by genetics. 
Okay. Then it's determined to a lesser extent by our personal habits. And mm-hmm. then lastly, it's determined by time and space and mm-hmm. outside influences, whatever mm-hmm. that may be. Mm-hmm. In the community, um, it impacts in that area that is not genetic and is not necessarily our personal habits. Mm-hmm. It impacts in ways that are often immeasurable, but definitely uh, persistent. So the best example I can give you is infant mortality. The state Mm -hmm. of Ohio in 2011 uh, had an infant mortality rate that in comparison to the other states in the country was the worst. Really? Yeah, terrible. And every person that I spoke to on this subject would say the same thing. Well, how is this possible? We have great Mm -hmm. hospitals, great physicians, great everything. And it's possible for a number of reasons. And the African infant mortality was twice the white infant mortality. Part of the reason was that a number of the African Americans who were having babies were in these communities that were of a low socioeconomic status, had high crime rates, had high drug rates, and were particularly insecure. So a new mother or an expectant mother was under the stress of what will she eat, when will she eat, was under mm-hmm. the stress of where will I live, perhaps was in the middle of an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, often was a smoker, and didn't really have any health care resources to help support her in her pregnancy. And the result was less babies being born healthy or alive. And that's just one small example, but mm-hmm. but it goes that way for everything, with high blood pressure, with cancer, with heart disease, you name it. The community impacts. If you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you don't know where you're going to live, and you're trying to get away mm-hmm. from, from crime or abuse, mm-hmm. health is much lower on the scale. Kind of the Maslow piece. Yes. So it also, I can see the overlap between habit and community. Yes. If I'm in a community where everyone's working out, that's the norm, yep. and I'm likely to do that. If yep. I'm in a community where going on a bicycle is something we don't do because there are no safe bike lanes and we can't afford bikes, and, and we're all working three jobs, it, it seems like that also has a is a driver. Exactly. Okay. So if you go to L.A., everyone's beautiful. <laughs> so it seems. You go That's to why I live in Ohio. Yeah, you go to southern Ohio and less so. <laughs> so I'm pretty there. Yes. You're pretty. You're pretty anywhere. <laughs> you're too kind. Anyway, let's go on to Columbus Medical Association. So, I was with the Ohio Hospital Association for uh, two and a half years, and mm-hmm. it was very rewarding. Um, um, my team and I helped put together a program on population health and infant mortality. Mm-hmm. And on infant mortality, what we did was basically take the consensus of a number of really good organizations and people, mm-hmm. and focus it to a tactical plan of attack. Our first um, interest was in safe sleep. I don't know if Mm -hmm. you're familiar with this concept, but years ago we used to teach people to put their babies on their stomach Uh, so that if they they erped up, you know, they wouldn't Mm -hmm. choke on their food. Completely wrong. The way a baby sleeps safely is on a hard surface with nothing around it in an enclosed crib and uh, with either uh, a onesie, kind of Mm -hmm. a Mm one-piece jumpsuit, or a, a loose blanket, no pillow, nothing. And if that doesn't happen, a significant amount of children will die in, in their sleep. Wow. So in, in Ohio, it's about 150 kids a year die specifically of unsafe sleep in the wrong position or perhaps sleeping with an adult. Mm. Also a very bad thing. That was our first initiative, working with a lot of really good organizations to approach that as a tactical opportunity 
for advertising, for promotion, for our hospitals working with their communities to to get the message mm-hmm. out, for our physicians talking to their patients, for our social workers, and on and on. Everybody's saying the same mm-hmm. thing in the same way. And in 2011, like I said we were pretty close to dead last. In 2014, the last uh, year we have statistics for, we're in the middle of the pack. Dramatic improvement. Mm. And for sleep-related death, we've made enormous improvements. It, we estimate that we've probably saved 144, 150 uh, lives in 2014 based on 2011 numbers. So that very rewarding. It's very nice. And, and, and the learning there was really, um, for me, and it wasn't a new learning, but it was learning for me was that if you lead a consensus, it's much easier to accomplish mm-hmm. something than mm-hmm. if you try to build a consensus. Interesting. So what's the difference between leading and building? Well, all right, so I have an idea, mm-hmm. and I spend six months talking to people promoting this idea and then I lead an initiative to institute that idea. Yeah. Much more work, much less buy-in than taking an idea that's already out there in pieces, parts, and Mm -hmm. perhaps not quite mature, but still there, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and helping to build a strategy or tactic around that idea and then helping that group to go in that direction. Ah, okay, got it. It's, It's almost leading from the middle. So it's soliciting input, building consensus, collectively building the solution. Which has already been articulated by other groups. They just Mm -hmm. haven't been able Mm -hmm. to get it done. Interesting. And so that seems like you are a very different person than you were from the skills you're using. Yes. When you're operating on someone who's just experienced a trauma. Yes, it has to be. Yeah. It has to be a different skill set. And I think most successful leaders are able to change their management style for a while. Mm -hmm. And uh, eventually that management style gets too hard to maintain because it's not your natural habit. Yeah. Or it's no longer effective because things have changed. And at that point, I think it's time to change leadership. So you changed, though, foundationally, didn't you? You're not slingshotting back to trauma surgeon, Bob. No, 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 no. I, I... I evolved my management style based on the needs of the organization. I've been fortunate to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I can only do it for so long. My basic personality is my basic personality. My basic Hmm. skill set is my basic skill set. And eventually, if left to my own devices, I'll revert. At that point, it's probably time for me to move on. Ah, got it. Okay, so it's knowing when to leave. Yes. Okay. At that point, let's take a break. Okay. And we'll be back and we'll spend the last segment talking about the Columbus Medical Association. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, 
online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, Bob Falcone is our guest, and during the break, we were talking about the idea of playing to strengths and knowing when to leave. So why don't you share with our listeners what we what your observations were? From my perspective, it's very easy to delude yourself into believing you're the right person for the organization you are looking to lead. Mm-hmm. But you may not be. And uh, first and foremost, I think that chemistry and that fit has to exist. If it doesn't exist, mm-hmm. there's no way, at least I would be successful, if I didn't think I was going to fit whatever was needed for the time and the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But having said that, things change. The time changes, the place changes, the constituency changes, the environment changes. And people who stay on beyond that fit mm-hmm start to become less effective unless they can dramatically reinvent themselves mm-hmm. for the time. I think that's hard. I think dramatically reinventing yourself on the fly is very hard because you have a basic personality and when things go wrong, you will revert to that personality. Well, and people expect you to do what you did yesterday. Yes. So as you're changing, you have, you're not only changing yourself, but you're changing the ecosystem around you. Which is hard to do Um, when a a culture has evolved around how you do things. Mm -hmm. So I think that probably my best skill set is knowing when to move on and knowing it six to 12 months ahead of time so it can be organized and so I I can find an appropriate passion to pursue as my next adventure. Do you help find your replacement also? Yes, if if I'm asked to. Okay. Um, Sometimes organizations, boards tend to want to do that on their own. Okay. So, so to the extent that you can, you say, I need to find my next opportunity six to 12 months from now. You orchestrate the transition for yourself, but also get the systems in place that may have been dependent upon you. Yes. And allow everyone to have an orderly transition. Yes. I'm, I, I can, I'm proud to say that every place I've left, um, I've left better. And every place I've left is thriving and doing much better than I did with it. That, to me, is something I can say with pride. That's great. Yeah. So now let's talk about what you're doing right now, the Columbus Medical Association, because this seems really exciting. It is. I I had the opportunity to take over for one of my old friends who was with the Columbus Medical Association for years, Phil Cass, and he actually recruited Mm. me. Mm. 
the association is an organization of Central Ohio physicians uh, who has spent most of its time doing good. Mm-hmm. So most membership organizations look out for their members. Mm-hmm. Think NRA or think... Um, they have a point the, of view the, they're advocating the, the, the farm group or whatever. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you, know, you, you advocate for the members. The Columbus Medical Association is different because physicians are different. So they spend a large amount of time um, uh, doing public good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started um, the Columbus Medical Association Foundation uh, with, uh, with some really smart investments. It now has about $73 million in it, and we use that to do charitable work. Mm. We started the Central Ohio Trauma System, which is peopled by a number of, of good uh, skill sets, but physicians are the leaders. And they, we, they, as physician leaders, brought all the organizations together, who don't always get along, mm-hmm. but brought all the organizations together for a common good, and that is to improve the care we provide to the injured patient. And that is ongoing today and has grown to an enormous portfolio of things ranging from where you go if you have an MI to where you go if you have botulism Mm. uh, to disaster management to trauma injury Mm -hmm. and coordinating Mm -hmm. injury care. So there's no benefit in that organization of physicians. It's strictly public good, but the physicians are doing it because they believe with a passion that that is important. We have a patient care connection. It's a free clinic on steroids. So we provide direct patient care at no cost to the most vulnerable in our community. But at the same time, we connect the dots for them and get them appointments in volunteer physician's offices for specialty care. So this, my cardiac guy, if I had a cardiac guy, might be seeing your patients? Yes. Okay. And free of charge? Yes, a very charitable charitable Mm -hmm. group of people. Mm -hmm. And then uh, as part of that, what we've started doing now is tying into this really tsunami of interest in infant mortality in Ohio, and our little piece of that is to connect newly pregnant, vulnerable women Mm -hmm. with healthcare. Simple, posit, but extremely important, and I think will be extremely effective. And then we have another, a number of other things we do that really are public good. Okay. And then we do membership things. Membership allows for discounts and allows for on health insurance and on other things mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. typical membership stuff. Yeah. Well, the other thing we do is advocate, which is not really lobby, but just help educate our elected officials and mm-hmm. others in the community about important issues. And in those settings, we do as much for the patient and community as we do for the physician. So one of the initiatives that we were very interested in promoting was the recent legislation that passed and was signed into law to simplify pre-certification for medical and surgical tests and procedures. So that means when I have to go get permission to have something done. Yes. That very complex. When I'm sick. Yes. And (laughs) scared. Yes. Very complex process in Ohio. Mm -hmm. It has now uh, been dramatically simplified. It has not yet been implemented, but it will be. And Mm -hmm. what that'll do for the physicians is it will allow them to spend more time with patients rather than with insurance companies. Mm-hmm. What it'll do for patients is give them some cert- certitude about where they're going. You see your doctor, the doctor says you need a CAT scan. You go to the desk, the desk says you're all set. This is where it is, this mm-hmm. is when it is, and this mm-hmm. is what it'll cost mm-hmm. you. A big difference from I'll have to call you in a couple of days after I talk to your insurance company, or I'll have to call you in a day. When I, mm-hmm. it, so again, it's advocating for our physicians, but it's really for the public good. So that's the beauty of the Columbus Medical Association and its affiliates, and affiliates are the foundation, as I mentioned, the Central Trauma System, as I mentioned, and the uh, 
patient care connection, as I mentioned. The challenge for all that is I've got four different boards. Okay, so you've got the foundation. Foundation, the medical association, the patient care connection, and the central health trauma system. And so how do you navigate those four boards, your one guy, and presumably they are not always on the same page? They are not. And I think that my approach is to bring every discussion back to a central focus. And okay. for physicians, it's patient care. Okay. As long as we come back to that central focus, everything else seems to become a little less important. Ah, okay, so the, having my North Star, so patient care and presumably also community health. Yes, public good. Okay. Uh, either individually or as a community. And every single physician, even the most jaded, even the highest <laughs> paid specialty, even the most difficult uh, to deal with, if mm -hmm. you sit them in a room and get them to really bear their soul, will tell you they went into medicine to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And they believe truly and passionately in the patients they care for and mm -hmm. their opportunity working with the patient to chart that patient's course. Mm -hmm. they, they all hate the intrusion by government and insurers mm -hmm. in that relationship. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. that's that's the reality today. So as we're seeing big changes in healthcare, do you have any point of view on what physicians and physician leaders need to do to make that current environment more palatable, more successful? Yes. Uh, so one thing we're doing is developing a physician leadership academy. And what that does is it allows a small group of really uh, expert people to spend a year with a small group of physicians and mm -hmm. help to train them in leadership skills mm -hmm. that, that aren't just balance sheets and mm -hmm. profit and loss statements, but include mind-body uh, ah. balance, include yeah. awareness, include mm -hmm. uh, the ability to convene groups and come to a, mm -hmm. a mutually agreeable decision using fairly mm -hmm. easy and teachable skills. And so th that's that's kind of where I see us going with our entire portfolio of opportunities. We're trying to make sure that we get uh, represented in all levels of management and in all levels of government by people who have a physician heart, mm -hmm. which means, coming back to what I said earlier, that they truly, at the bottom of their soul, believe that the patient should come first. Wow. That would make a huge difference. Now, there are other things we can talk about, but, <laughs> but, but, but I, I think that will make a huge difference. So getting back to, from the lens of the physician, getting back to how do I connect patient care mm -hmm. to what I do every day that may or may not be to my liking. Yeah. As we're looking at all the remote devices I can monitor people with yep. and how do I spend my day. Well, I think the, the trick for us as an organization is to try to eliminate as many of those barriers as possible, to intercede where legislation becomes onerous, mm -hmm. to uh, provide education when le legislation has the opportunity mm -hmm. to improve things, and to really advocate for that relationship and that, that concept. Mm -hmm. Today, we are blessed with a number of really cool things. Um, we can, when I was at the Cincinnati VA, we took the lead in the VA of establishing something called the electronic ICU. This is where all intensive care patients at all our, all our organizations were monitored by a central bank of monitors and experts who would watch them minute to minute. 
and look for trends, look for mm-hmm. signs that there was an infection brewing, look for signs that perhaps there was something going on with the lungs and on and on and catch them ahead of time. Uh, yeah, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about technology. And let's let's do a real short answer so we can then wrap up. But it seems like technology has the opportunity to really dramatically change the practice of medicine. It does, but, and I'll make this quick, uh, a friend of mine who was an outstanding photographer came to a party as a hired photographer to take pictures for that mm-hmm. party, mm-hmm. and he brought a bag full of disposable cameras. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and said, disposable cameras and he looked at me and very seriously said a true professional never blames his equipment for the outcome so the technology is helpful but it is just a tool Mm -hmm. if we lose track of that patient physician relationship whether it's over the screen or whether it's over the phone or Mm -hmm. whether it's over a monitor we have lost touch with what works and what makes a difference. So the technology is an an enabler of the physician and the physician relationship. Yes. Okay. That's beautiful. That's the probably the right place to wrap up. So I'm going to summarize a little bit and jump in. So today we've been joined by Bob Falcone, who's talking about, as a physician, what is his career path? And I've heard a couple of things. The one that resonates most is the idea that Bob and the people he works with are connecting with their purpose. So we're here to heal people. And that awareness of self, as we talk about leadership, the first thing we talk about is self-awareness, understanding my vision and values, and connecting those to what I do. If I can do that and nothing else, it's the first step to truly leading and inspiring people because I know who I am and what I'm about and that awareness drives my actions versus being motivated by the next paycheck, the next promotion, a huge difference in the quality of the human as leader, the physician as leader. So that really resonates most, followed by know when to leave. Know that I can't solve all of it but if I'm motivated to do good, I can exit what I'm doing now, find the next opportunity again where I can do well, do good, and serve. So thank you everyone for joining us. I hope you heard something that inspires you to action based on what Bob talked about today. This is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Join us next week, please. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.